Glad you guys are here with us. Thank you for, for joining us today. We've got a special day for you as we gather to worship. Uh, we as a church, as a congregation, are blessed to be uh, supported, equipped, encouraged by a wonderful team of uh, folks here at Southside who work with me and some of them you see on a regular basis and, and others maybe you don't see. But believe me, uh, the ministries that you uh, participate in here at Southside couldn't happen with, without them. Uh, many are volunteers, a few are on staff, and it's a privilege to work with each and every one of them on a weekly basis. Uh, some of you may remember about a year and a half ago, uh, we uh, lost the person who was serving in our student ministry at the time, and we took a little bit of a different approach in student ministry over the last 18 months. Uh, God had set it up so that we had one of our own who had served as an intern with us over the summer uh, several times, and she was uh, relocating back to Jacksonville. And so Corey Weller has done an outstanding job working with our students over the last, yeah, you can give her a hand. So Corey works full-time as a public school teacher and then also helps us with students. And meanwhile, we also took some of those resources and were able to invest them in a church plant here in the San Marco area called City Church. And Blake Bennett, the pastor of that church, helped us with student ministry as well. So it was a, it was a great, great time uh, for our church to not only minister to students uh, with a team approach, but also to help get a new church started uh, right here in our city. And as our relationship with uh, City Church is continuing to grow and City church is becoming more autonomous, uh, it is time for us to bring on someone to work with our students full-time. And so for the last several months, we've been engaged in a search to bring someone on staff with us here who would, uh, who would lead us in reaching that next generation of students, uh, middle school, high school students. We as a church believe that we are called to be a multi-generational church with a next generation vision. That means, that means that we have to have folks who are serving us and equipping us to reach that generation effectively. And we are really excited to present to you uh, the candidate that we, have, uh, that we have identified who we believe is just that person. Uh, Scott Swanstrom uh, has served uh, as a youth minister. Uh, youth, youth ministry volunteer. He served as a church planter, and he has pastored the church that he planted for seven years, which if you've been involved in church planting, that's, that's pretty remarkable. Uh, we are delighted to have his family here with us. They have been worshiping with us for the past several months. Uh, the interview process has been ongoing, and uh, we felt like it was time to introduce Scott to you. Scott and his wife, Tricia, have three kids, uh, Bryn, their oldest daughter, and then uh, two sons, Grayson and Ethan, and uh, we are just delighted to welcome Scott Swanstrom today as he brings us the message. So would you give a nice warm Southside welcome to Scott Swanstrom. Good morning Southside. That was really good. That was really good. Um, As uh, Pastor Gary said, uh, my name is Scott Swanstrom. Uh, I've been in Jacksonville for probably the better part of 14 years now. Um, But uh, I am just absolutely thrilled to be here this morning. Thank you, Pastor Gary, for the invitation, for the uh, leaders here in the church. Uh, We're going to talk about missions today. Is that okay? Yeah. We're going to talk about missions. We're going to talk a little bit about art this morning. Uh, But... I would like to start off with a picture. They say a picture is worth a thousand words. And so if we can go ahead and throw that picture up there. All right, I'm going to give you like 60 seconds to form uh, an opinion about what you see. All right, we're good? Give me a thumbs up if we're good. You're on? Good. Um, 
Your thoughts may have been very similar to my first thoughts when I saw this picture. This picture had gone viral on the internet, and uh, the, the tweets that were popping up uh, were from all sorts of different representation, uh, but not a single one of them was in a positive light. Uh, it was very negative. And the, the common thought is, my goodness, this is a metaphor for our age. This is where we are. Look at them. They're on their iPhones, and they're neglecting this absolutely beautiful picture in the back. Um, this is uh, Rembrandt's The Night Watch. And The Night Watch is uh, hanging in the Rijks Museum in Amsterdam. And uh, believe it or not, the caption uh, really gives more information than just the picture. It's not worth a thousand words necessarily. Uh, these students just finished an instructional tour guide from uh, a professional tour guide, uh, listening about all the uh, artwork that is on, on display there. And their teachers told them to go and download the app that belongs to the museum to be able to finish their homework assignment. If you're like me, you're kind of in a humble spot right now. We're going to pull our toes back because we're getting stepped on a little bit. But I think that's a, a, a good idea to be able to look at this in such a way where we just pull back, we, we stop, we think, we look at culture the way that it is for the purpose of really thinking about the gospel and how we share that. You see, culture isn't a scary thing. We know scripturally that greater is the one who is in us than the one who is in the world. Oh, you've heard it before. So I'd like to open up with you guys this morning uh, to the book of Acts. We're going to be in Acts chapter 17 this morning. We're going to be in Acts 17, starting at verse 22, if you could scoot down there. Now, I'm a big fan of the theologians of old, the ones that have gone on before us and their writings, and I'm a huge fan of Charles Spurgeon, uh, Charles Spurgeon being the Prince of Preachers. And uh, he had made a comment that had really stuck with me. And at first it was a little offensive, uh, but at, after I started to think about it, he was absolutely right. Here's what he said. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. Every Christian is either a missionary or an imposter. See, we're talking about, if you are a Christ follower, and I don't even know if using the term Christian it gives full meaning like it does uh, back then, because a lot of folks think that just coming to church makes you a Christian. A lot of folks think that checking off that box on your medical history makes you a Christian. Uh, let me tell you what, being a Christ follower was paved the way by the shedding of blood of a Savior and many saints to follow so that you and I can meet in freedom today. So being a Christ follower has a lot more weight. It's not something you can go and buy in Lifeway bookstores. It's something deeper than that. Christ follower, you are the evidence of a resurrection. You are the evidence of a resurrection that happened 2,000 years ago. What a story to tell. And so when we think about our encounter with Jesus Christ and, and what he has done with us and how he saved a wretch like me, how he's placed me on higher ground, how he's adopted me as his son, it changes everything. That's a story worth telling. If you got pushed out of the way of an oncoming bus, the wrath of that bus 
that's forever going to change your life. That's a story you're always going to tell. Jesus pushed us out of the wrath of God so that he took it upon himself for us. Amen? I'll tell you what, I, I feel really insignificant right now following up after baptism because baptism really is the sermon today. It is a sermon that three children had preached because it is their story. There is no greater joy that I have had in the last 10 years of ministry than baptizing my three children. And we've had a pretty good time in those 10 years. The introduction before we get into the passage is this. If you would want to follow along on your notes, they're on the back of the bulletin there. We must understand the current culture in order to introduce the counterculture. Let me say that one more time. We must understand the current culture in order to introduce the counterculture. Now, there are four ways in which we approach culture. The first way is that we hide from it. We hide from it. If the words sheltered, naive, uh, hidden from those things is part of your repertoire, then that is the hiding from it. There are a lot of churches that, that leave their hurricane shutters on so that the world doesn't get in. We're just, we're just going to stay away. We're going to immerse ourselves in this nicely contained, sterile environment and keep everything else that's messy out. Church, this morning, I want you to know that if you are a messy person, you are in the right place. And I am the president of the messy people, so. You're in the right place. We hide from culture. Secondly, sometimes we embrace culture. And now I know what you're thinking. There's probably some churches that are coming to mind or ministries that are coming to mind that you might see on TV. And it's the idea in which uh, culture is our muse. It is everything that we invest ourselves in and we use that. And, and really, doctrine and truth go by the wayside because of that. If, if church is about entertainment value, then, then we have appealed to a consumeristic mindset. Amen? Yeah. Three, we attack it. We attack it. Sometimes we attack culture. We go not on the passive, but on the aggressive. All of the things that are wrong with culture today... All of these students that are on their iPhones always. And you may know some that are like that as well. There's a great Francis Schaeffer quote. Uh, he's my favorite Christian beatnik. Uh, his name is, eat, or his uh, quote is this, Each generation of the church in each setting has the responsibility of communicating the gospel in understandable terms considering the language and thought forms of that setting. Every generation has that responsibility to be able to convey the gospel. The gospel is timeless. The message is timeless. But the methods must always change. In fact, Christ follower, if you're a Christ follower here this morning, then I will say that, that your priority on life is constant perpetual change. For I am a new creature in Christ. Amen? The old is gone, the new has come, here I am. Acts chapter 17, starting at verse 22. 
So Paul, standing in the midst of the Areopagus, said, Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. For as I passed along and observed the objects of your worship, I found also an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. What therefore you worship as unknown, this I proclaim to you. We're going to park it right there. Uh, And for your notes this morning, um, we're going to be going through Paul's technique of engaging a culture uh, that is very different than his own. Paul is uh, one of those gentlemen who grew up very religious. He became uh, the top-notch Pharisee under the uh, mentorship of Gamaliel. And so he, he was very much intertwined into Jewish culture. But he also had a Roman citizenship. And so he was dipping his toes in both waters, and he could pretty much go just about anywhere in the world and get along. The only problem was is that he hadn't had an encounter with Jesus Christ yet. And when he had an encounter with Jesus, everything changed. Everything changed. I love Paul because Paul is a reminder that Jesus saves religious people too. Amen? Amen. All right. So first we see that he starts with what they know. Start with what they know. Verse 22, he's speaking to the men of Athens. Uh, These are the uh, hipsters of the day. Uh, They're hanging around at coffee shops talking about philosophy with the Epicureans and the Stoics and all of these great things. And that's what they do. And Paul interjects and he starts to share this new information about the resurrection of the dead and and some key doctrinal things. Um, But he moves on and he observes an object of their worship. It's this altar that has the inscription, to the unknown God. In a city that is filled with altars, filled with shrines, filled with idols all over the place. Because they didn't know which God was happy with them and which God was angry with them. They just wanted to make sure they had all of them covered. And so they even came up with an altar to the unknown God just in case they missed one. Just in case. We don't know your name, but... Please bless my crops. Paul starts with an altar that they were all too familiar with. I want to point out that he's not going back through Old Testament scripture when he's speaking to these men of Athens. He's not saying, hey, you remember the Ten Commandments and that you broke every single one of them and, and, and this is the law and we look in the law and we see how dirty we are. Is there any help for us at all? That's something... Jews would understand. But the men of Athens, they have no framework and concept of what sin is. So where do you start? You start with what they know. You start with what they know. Here is an altar to the unknown God, and let me, let me tell you, let me proclaim to you who this God is. And he goes on. Verse 24. He says, the God who made the world and everything in it, being Lord of heaven and earth, does not live in temples made by man, 
nor is he served by human hands as though he needed anything. Since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath in everything. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth, having determined allotted periods and boundaries of their dwelling places, that they should seek God and perhaps feel their way toward him and find him. Yet he is actually not far from each one of us. In verse 28, in him we live and move and have our being. As even some of your own prophets and poets had had said, for we are indeed his offspring. So Paul starts with what they know, and then he moves on to introduce what is missing in the conversation. There are some mystery gaps that are needing to be filled with information here. And he he has a a common starting point with them. The first uh, questions he's answering is who and where is God really? Who and where is God really? You see, up until that point, the Athenians had only thought about God in terms of the God that they can forge. The God that they can hammer out. The God that they can chisel away. The God that is under their control. The God that they can manage. Praise be to God, we serve a God that we cannot manage. Amen? He wouldn't be worth serving for that purpose. He starts with what they know and then he introduces what's missing. Who and where is God really? And I love uh, verse 27 and 28 where it tells us that God is near. He's near for you to find. That's huge in religious contexts, especially in Eastern religion cultures uh, where they have this understanding that anything divine or anything that is celestial is something that is so separated from mankind that we can't know him. That we can't know him. Paul's declaring God's here. He's now. He's a God that can't be managed. He's a God that created everything. That's who he is. And in light of knowing who God is, we know ourselves better. Isn't that interesting how when you study scripture and you start to understand the character of who God is, we get a better perspective as to who we are. The second question he answers Who and where am I from? Who am I? Where am I? Verse 25, is he served by human hands as though he had needed anything since he himself gives to all mankind life and breath and everything. We are not the creator, we are the created. And he made from one man every nation of mankind to live on all the face of the earth. I love this phrase and and I don't know if you missed it when we read through it last time. But, but just pay special attention to this. Having determined allotted periods of time and the boundaries of their dwelling places, for what purpose? That they should seek God. 
That means that every human being who has ever taken a breath and has walked on planet Earth, the time that they were born and when they live and the location in which they live and even the circumstances in which they dwell is not out of the view and sight of God. That creates this moment as being a very special moment of purpose because I believe you're here today for a reason. I don't think this is just something that, that, that we just came to uh, just to kind of check off a box. I, I really believe that you were here because you want to walk away a little bit different than the way you came in. Amen. Amen. I love Ephesians 2.10. For we are his workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Isn't it amazing to think about the God who rescued us, the God who chose 2,000 years ago to send his one and only begotten son to planet earth, to live a perfect life as man, to go to a cross and to be buried in a tomb for three days, only to be risen back to life, was something that was planned before the foundations of creation. Wow. The whole intent of worship is to be able to say, wow. For we are his workmanship. If you're familiar with Ephesians 2.10, that word workmanship um, is actually the word poema, which is where we get the word poem. I love how this verse interacts with Acts 17 that we were just speaking about. Here we have Paul preaching to the men of Athens who are philosophers and poets. He's using their own poetry, their own art, their own creativity to be able to share the gospel. That's awesome. And what he is really telling them is, up until now, you thought you can create artwork and have it represent God. But let me just tell you what. God created artwork and the artwork is you. You are God's poem that he is writing. That is awesome. The third part of Paul's technique. Help them know how to respond. It's asking the question, what's next? Let them know how to respond. Don't just tell them. Tell them what to do with it. When you've been given information, when you've been given truth, you have to wrestle with it. You have to decide, even now, the the message that we're going through in Acts chapter 17, does it apply to you or not? Is it true? And is it true for you? 29. Being then God's offspring, we ought not to think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image formed by the art and imagination of man. The times of ignorance God overlooked, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of all this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. Did you hear the gospel? He makes a beeline back to Jesus. As every message should. As every Christ follower's life should. And it should be a signpost to point to him. 
let me tell you about this God because he is the God who appointed his son to come down and to die for us. And the way we know God accepted his sacrifice was he he rose again three days later. That's awesome. Help them know how to respond and what's next. Uh, If you guys are in the habit of underlining scripture, uh, if you could underline that word in verse 30 at the very end, the word repent. The word repent. Let me just tell you, that is an amazing word. And religious folks have really tainted it in such a way that repentance is often displayed as that negative thing. If you've ever been to New York, there's always the guys that are with the signs and repent, repent, for the end of the world is near. And that's very true. But repentance isn't this, this, this mean thing. Repentance is an opportunity to be in right relationship with God. It is healing. It is mending. It is growing. Any Christ follower who has ever repented never regretted it. Because Jesus is just that awesome. He is. And so our mission should reflect that as well. going to start bringing the plane in for a landing here. We all good? Everyone board? Okay. Uh, there's a gentleman by the name of A.N. Wilson, who's a very famous British journalist. And uh, he had talked about early on uh, about his conversion to atheism. He had grown in the faith uh, and, and was just always a bit of a skeptic. Um, by the way, I want to welcome you here uh, if you are a skeptic. Just ask the right questions. And what that means is, is, is give fair interview to the things that we're talking about. Not with discrimination, but with a search for truth. A.N. Wilson converted to atheism. And he, he dwelt in atheism for 20 years. But there is still this, this, uh, this nagging sense that he had looming over his head every time he would meet with a gentleman like Richard Dawkins or Christopher Hitchens or Sam Harris, who are gentlemen who we know on the circuits of atheistic philosophical speaking tours and things like that. If you've ever heard of the flying spaghetti monster, that's Richard Dawkins. He would, he would hang out with these guys and he would try to debunk the C.S. Lewis mere Christianities and, and the other great works of his time. And he had a conversation over coffee one day. Uh, and the conversation was in regards to the evolution of man. And he couldn't get past a statement that his friend had said. That, that we had evolved into everything and even the idea of calling each other by name was something that was evolved. That there was some point in time in history that the, the idea of name calling and recognition was not necessary. And that we even evolved into that. Well, he, he sat back and he said, I think you believe that about as much as you believe about Noah's Ark. There's a huge problem. There's one thing he cannot explain. Where does art and language come from. He couldn't wrap his mind around it. It's 
from that question in his mind that he began to take steps again and he's in what we would call a slow conversion process back to Christ. That was in 2009. We serve a creative God. We serve a God who is a better dreamer than you are. That's a God worth worshiping. So this morning, here's a thought that I would like to leave with you. Uh, If I see you 45 minutes from now over at Firehouse or or wherever we decide to eat, I'm going to ask you this question. Okay, what did you say? This is the one thing I want you to take away. The greatest part of the Christian life is introducing others to a God who is a bigger dreamer than you are. A God that is a bigger dreamer than you are. That is our goal. If you feel like as a Christ follower you're in a rut and that you've lost that joy and passion you first had when you first surrendered your life to Jesus and said, yes, Lord, wherever, whenever, however, take me. And, and over time that's kind of waned a little bit and it's just feeling like you're going through the motions. When was the last time you shared your faith with somebody else? There is nothing more exciting compared to our own conversion story than when we get to lead others in their conversion stories. That's what missions is all about. It's an addiction. Because once you do it, you want to go back. You want to do it again. Here's the questions that I like to ask this morning, just for you to ponder. Uh, What would it look like if a community of believers got creative about missions? What would it look like if Southside Baptist Church got excited about missions so much so where they're not going to get this canned experience, but they're sitting together, they're imagining and they're dreaming and they're praying with God about how he wants us to reach this community around us? Because you are the neighborhood church to San Marco. Amen? What would it look like if a community of believers got creative about missions? By the way, I really believe creativity happens within community. Creativity happens within community. I love community because more times than not, I'll come up with 100 ideas and 99 of them will be absolutely bad. But when you're in a community of believers, they'll take a bad idea and sparks will start to fly and then all of a sudden something brews from that and creativity happens like wildfire. Christ follower, I think we ought to be the most creative people on planet earth. We have a big God and we have a Holy Spirit who likes to hijack our imaginations to show us that he can do a better job than we can. One of my greatest opportunities, aside from baptizing my three kids uh, in ministry over the last 10 years, was having a chance to meet one-on-one with local artists. Completely what we would call far from Jesus, not church, not part of that realm, uh, not thinking religiously at all. And I would offer them a gig. Uh, It was a gig to be able to come into a church service uh, while we were preaching And they would perform art on the stage during the message. And they would come in with a a canvas and it would often be sketched out so it was ready to go. And they'd have about a 45-minute time frame. 
But the cool part of that is I got to meet with that individual during the week to be able to discuss the passage of Scripture that we were going through. And as an artist, Scripture had to become their muse so that they start to work emotionally and mentally uh, through the passage of Scripture. You want to know how to get an artist into Scripture? You make it their muse. You make it their muse. You want to know how you disciple an artist? That's how. What would it look like for you to get creative about missions? And I return to my first question, and we'll end here. Will you be a missionary or an imposter? This morning, here's your opportunity to respond because I believe you're here for a reason. I believe uh, that there is something that you are meant to have walking away from here. First and foremost, if you're not a Christ follower, if you're a skeptic, if, if you are unchurched, wherever you may be, and you're just asking questions right now, I would like to invite you to have a conversation with me this morning. I'd like to be able to hear your story. I'd like to be able to pray with you. I'd like to be able to introduce you to Jesus Christ. Secondly, if you're a Christ follower this morning, but the extent of your Christ followership is just showing up on Sunday morning and Wednesday nights, and it's not being a missionary in your workplace, in your family, in your community, and that's something that God has touched your heart on this morning, you have an opportunity to respond to that. We're going to open up the floor as uh, Brother Scott leads us out. And uh, take this time. Do business with God. Don't walk out of here the same. Southside, thank you. Um, I want to invite you to pray with me. And as Scott has extended this offer to you, we just want to let you respond. We're going to sing a song that really declares our faith and what we believe. And maybe today you don't share the beliefs that we're going to sing about. That's okay. We're glad you're here. And we want you to listen to what we believe. And for those of us who do sing it, I want you to sing it uh, with the understanding that it's not just words we say, but it's a transformation that we undergo as we leave this place to be the, this faith uh, on display, to be the poem of God, to be the masterpiece of God uh, that others may see the gospel inside of us. So will you stand together as we pray, and then as we sing and you come as the Holy Spirit leads. Father, we thank you today for the truth of your word. We thank you for this passage that uh, shows us how, uh, how even from the very beginning of the church, uh, there were men and women who were engaged with culture as they found it. Uh, Father, that they didn't hide from it, Uh, They didn't try to fully embrace it, nor did they attack it, but instead uh, they entered into it. Uh, Father, that that we're called to that. We're called to be salt and light, to work our way into the culture around us, to share the message of the gospel. And so, Lord, today, even as we come to the end of this service, I pray that this example from Paul, uh, from the book of Acts, and, and the truth of what Paul shared would penetrate hearts who are here today, maybe questioning, seeking. And for the others of us, Lord, who are here today, maybe the, uh, maybe the idea of Paul sharing and the way he shared would inspire us as we go back into our workplaces, into our schools, uh, that we may also uh, embrace those who are around us, people who you love, that they may see the gospel in us and that we may share the truth of it uh, from your word. 
for we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.